doctrine, teaching slash instruction. And honestly, I don't prefer when words like doctrine are stuck in, or put in front of something. However, I was surprised that when I did a little bit of research, doctrine appears in the Bible 21 different times. The Greek word is diaskalia. Uh, I'm not a student of Greek. I just looked that up. So. <laughs> Uh, but one of the instances that I was looking up was 2 Timothy 3.16. If you want to pull that up really quick, we're going to touch on that. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you're reading an ESV, the first word, it says profitable for teaching, but if you're reading a King James or New King James, it is doctrine. The word being used there is doctrine. Uh, I was a little surprised. I did not realize that. But it, again, it is used predominantly uh, quite a few times and even by Jesus. I don't have all those quotes on me, but I could surely find those if you're interested. But we have the word doctrine. This idea that teaching slash instruction, teaching and instruction. So if you get something from Ikea, my least favorite store, if you get a piece of furniture from there, you'll have a thousand pieces and instructions on, what, on how to do, how to put that together. And so we have this word doctrine trying to get you to instruct you to do something not just believe something. It's trying to, call, it's trying to get you to action. You're, you're leaning on something there. Um, and that's actually one of the first points that Mark Dever makes, not the boy, is making in the book. He's saying, you have these beliefs. We don't want to just sit on those beliefs. They should cause you to do something. If you have a friend at work who is an atheist, he has kids, you have kids, you both functionally do all the same things, you, but you go to church, functionally, you're functioning as an atheist or an agnostic. We don't want to just sit on our beliefs. They should call us to do something with those beliefs. Okay, so what's that mean for us? It's a fancy, saying gospel doctrine is a fancy way of formally thinking about the gospel to think through ideas on those core components and those implications. And that's where we're going to get into today. <clears throat> and so... It's going to help us think in different ways about the gospel so that we can think about it better, more clearly, and understand the playing field whenever you're talking to somebody else so that you can understand what misconceptions they might have about the gospel. Um, this is an equipping hour, and so at the very end, we're going to do an exercise together. Um, but before we get there, we're going to go through those components. What are some core components of the gospel? To throw some of those out. What makes the gospel the gospel? Good news. Good, good news. <laughs> good news about what? Salvation. Salvation. That's pretty core, right? What else? The perfect li living the perfect life. Yes. Core component. What else? Yes, 
We're, there, there is a sin aspect and not on the Lord, but on us. Yes. Want to throw anything else out? There's a rec- there is a, a rectifying matter of this. Yes. Amen. Uh, what is it? Conquering death. Okay. Very good. Uh, there's a, I listed out a few, and some of those is, are on our part. There's no works. Not that Jesus didn't do work, but we on our part don't do work. Um, who's the initiator? Are we the initiator? Do we initiate that? God is the initiator. Yes. Uh, another aspect is that when it, before it starts, we are actually dead. We, we aren't floating, treading water on the top, barely making it. We're dead at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> and God is the one who's the one that breathes life. He's the one that initiates. All these components of this are outlined, not numerically in Mark's outline, but they are throughout this chapter of the book of uh, nine marks. Um, but, so we have our core components there are things that if you change the core components of the gospel, you're changing the gospel. Some in minor ways and some in major ways. Um, and when you do this, you end up having a false gospel. And so I have a question. What are some of those false gospels? Are there any false gospels? Roy? Oh, your works are getting you closer to God. That's good. What else? False gospels that have swapped out the components of the gospel. The deity of Christ? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Oh, okay. It's taking away the deity of Christ. Okay, I got you. That's good. There is that. There is that. I have met those people. Prosperity gospel. Well, could you define this prosperity gospel? So there's a, phys- there's a physical, there's a weird promise of physical riches now. Okay. Any other false gospels, guys? Here, actually... Oh. I am the initiator. Yes, that's a false gospel. Yes. Uh, One of the first false gospels that's outlined is in Acts 15. If you want to flip there. If not, I will read it out loud, but you should. But some of the men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Uh, Skip ahead to verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Um, The beginning part of this 
says some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. There is, I, I can't understand how this works, but there are Pharisees who were believers who were, <laughs> I, I, I never realized that. I thought Pharisees hated Jesus, but now you're having some believers who are Pharisees. Uh, and they're proclaiming this false gospel. You have to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. I don't think many people know anybody with that belief today, uh, but however, they are out there. I know lots of Messianic Jews who their congregation, they often lose people be, and their people are turning to uh, uh, Judaism. You wouldn't think it, but I, I, as I think through this topic, certain cultures have certain tendencies to take and swap out different parts of the gospel and change it. Uh, and I was just thinking through, we always talk about, let me, let me pause right there. There are things that if you change about the gospel, make it a different gospel, right? We see some of them laid out clearly in the Bible. Uh, and we see, but, but, but why is this important? Why, why are we really concerned with all this? Because the people that you interact with on a daily basis have different beliefs about what the gospel is. We should be able to identify those, address those, and help people understand Jesus and his word more clearly. This should be something for us. And so at the end, we, we are actually all going to share the gospel with one another. I will do that. I'll give further instruction on that in an orderly way, but we should be able to practice and verbally give the gospel. Um, so we're getting there. Legalism, doing extra things that add things to the gospel, kind of what Roy already pointed out. That's another form of false gospel. It's not just changing the components that make something a false gospel. If you change the implications of the gospel, you can also get false gospel. Uh, and someone, you pointed out prosperity. I, I, I think it's possible for a prosperity gospel to actually have the components right, but the implications wrong. They can have hey, I was dead in my sins, I was, I, I, God is the initiator, there are no works on my side, there is complete forgiveness in Jesus, and now I get to name and claim what I want. Since this, now this. You can have the components, but the implication is off, and we have a false gospel. Uh, some detriment, some very minor, and I'm going to touch on a few of those um, today. I was trying to think of relevant ones that are always around us. Does anyone know what antinomianism is? Could someone define that for me? Antinomianism. Yes, what, do you, what is it? And it's anti-law, yes. So what they would do is they would take the old covenant and say, <laughs> and and. If you're thinking about 2 Timothy 3.16, not all scripture is God-breathed and useful for training and teaching in righteousness. It's only the New Testament. However, that's not true. But you can have all the recipe for the gospel correct and yet think that we're just going to chop this off. For the sake of God's word, we're going to get rid of God's word. It doesn't make sense. And so we're having these weird iterations of the gospel that are not correct. Um, Antinomianism, yes. So it's anti-law. Very good. And so we can't just throw out God's authority for the sake of God's authority. 
there is a, I, when I was thinking about this, that is the hardest thing to wrap my brain around ever since until I was in my late 20s, the relationship between the law and the new covenant. What is it for? It was so hard for me to wrap my mind around, like what's the point of this if we're just gonna throw it out? Is there any use for it at all? Uh, but I'm not going to go into that today. I think Adam could preach hours on that subject. But yes, there is a strong relationship and it is useful. Um, but if anybody else is in that boat, I would encourage you to reach out to somebody because that is really hard to wrap, at least for myself, it's really hard to grasp that idea. Um, and there's another type of gospel, <laughs> implication of the gospel, I think is even more prevalent. And I think you guys might be able to know people around you that do hold to this idea. Somebody was sitting on my couch about a month and a half ago, and he said, I just want to quit my job and preach the gospel because nothing else is worth it. And I stopped and I thought about that. And I'm like, what you're saying is that because of the gospel, because of forgiveness, because of all these things that are true, now what I do doesn't matter. These things don't matter. And it almost sounds good. It almost sounds right. But it's not right. It's, it's the opposite. Now because you are free, you are now free to live for God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't preach the gospel, but if you're saying nothing else matters, you have implications that are not biblical. You don't find that in the Bible. Uh, let's turn to <clears throat> Colossians 3.17. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, <clears throat> work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. Highlight, whatever you do, work at it heartily. And just a few verses before that, if I can find this, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see the opposite idea being present. It's not because of the gospel what you do doesn't matter. It's what, now because of the gospel your work now does matter. Whenever you're at your job, work as working for the Lord. Whenever you are retired, retired as if you're working for the Lord. <laughs> that almost sounds paradoxical, but you know what I mean. Um, whatever you do, whether you're a teacher, whether you're Whatever it is, whether your mom taking care of the kids, whether your dad at work working hard with your hands, work as working for the Lord. This is the implication of the gospel that Paul presents. Uh, it's not just found here, but it's found throughout. If you look at Joseph, you wouldn't say, Joseph, you are doing really well up until you get out of prison. It was really great when you got sold for 20 shekels of silver, and now you're not doing so great. You're the number two in all Egypt. Out of his wealth, he's serving God, and through that, so many people were saved in that time in that famine with Joseph. Um, but yes, there are many different iterations. It's not just the components that you can have wrong, it's the implications of the gospel that we can have off. Um, and so my point of all this is we need to be able to articulate the gospel. We need to be able to listen to people and understand what they might have wrong with the gospel. Um, so yes, let, us, let's, let that be one of the marks that we have today. So I want to be able to have a time of interaction. <clears throat> so this is what we're going to do. 
I want everybody here to share the gospel. I will take two minutes to think about how you would like to present it. And then after that, we're going to split off into groups of three and we're going to share that with each other. And so <clears throat> take two minutes. I'm going to hit my timer on my phone. Just think about how you might want to share that. Uh, don't get too bent out of shape if you think you can't do well, if you don't think you're going to do very good. It doesn't matter. Uh, just do it. It's okay. So take two minutes and be ready to share for up to two minutes. I'm going to start a timer on my phone. I know some of you are like, we're good to go right now. Just wait. Two minutes. Just think about how you want to be able to present. All right. If everybody would start to make their way back to their seat, we're going to have a few, I have a few more questions for you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to say it was quite fun to watch some people as they try to hurry up and say everything they're trying to say. That's kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> feedback. What did you guys think? Was that easier or more difficult than you expected? There's not one single way? That's just your way. <laughs> no, yeah, there's, this is multifaceted. There, the gospel is... Uh, here, go ahead. That's encouraging. What else? What is, what is some other feedback? Did anyone call you out when you said something? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I, pers on a personal note, the more that I've had to practice doing the gospel, the more it's helped me in conversations give a portion to somebody at a certain time. So I agree, you probably, you might not. Here, I want to hear what everybody else has to say. Go ahead. The gospel is so detailed, we have plenty of things, plenty of bullets to pull from that are very applicable to everyone's life. Go ahead.
They're one of the biggest things that I've seen the people that I've talked to is they don't agree that people are basically bad. And that's kind of what you highlighted. Sin, but are they really sinful? They're they're really basically good. How do we address that? Yes. I'm going to touch on that in just a moment, but I saw your hand. Yeah. I completely agree. My mind works with chunked concepts, and if I but if I understand that that is a concept and not a language that everyone speaks, but I, yeah. That helps me, and I'm a little kid. Well, sometimes. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I appreciate this. Um, this Saturday, I'll be with about 45 people. About half of them are totally unchurched and unfaith. So um, we're here to celebrate the life of my mom and uh, people coming from all over the country. So I appreciate getting this time shared. Zero concept. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, let's pray afterwards here. Uh, one more thing I wanted to leave you with. You, I, uh, the common theme that I heard is how do you, this isn't going to make sense if you just give it to somebody. One of the tactics that I've seen work really well, I have been around several militant atheists that think they know everything about your faith. And so I'll just ask them like, hey, um, Christianity is all about the gospel. Can, do you know what the gospel is? Like, uh, yeah. I'm like, go ahead and can you define that for me? And I have them try to articulate the gospel, but this helps us to understand exactly where they're off. And it helps them understand they don't really know what you're about. And so if you're struggling to figure out where the other person is, just ask them, hey, do you know what the gospel is? Can you articulate that for me? I've asked that so many times and it's been very helpful for me to be able to oh you think me doing good gets me in front of God that's why you think I'm self-righteous. Okay let's talk about that. It helps to segue. Um, Mark's Mark Dever not Du Bois. <laughs> Actually he probably said this too. The most important thing about people, this is his point in the book, is what does someone think of God? How are they thinking about God? That's the most important thing. And that's why it's important for us to be able to articulate the gospel so we can help guide people in that direction. Um, so if anybody at your work, anybody in your family, your children, your parents, the most important thing about them is what they're thinking about God, how they think of God. So let us be people that has this mark about us that we love the gospel and we're able to understand it. We're able to articulate it we don't just sit on those beliefs. We're doing an action with those. So thank you, and...
thanks for allowing me to speak on this subject. have intimate conversations about the gospel, and then you see the response, like quick, ready answers. Everybody, like, well, I won't say everybody, but most of you realized, okay, that was a good thing. Um, that's a gift Ethan has of, of, of drawing into that kind of conversation, and so I, I hope you recognize that. As we wrap up this conversation of the gospel, and you're being pressed to, to compress the Bible story into two minutes, uh, I think a lot of the feedback there was helpful because you realize, um, let me go back to Chris's point. There, there's all these elements of solid biblical truth, and we might take any one of those elements of the gospel and sing a song about it, uh, preach a message about it, and it might not include everything. You know, we could, we could talk about the atonement and never really get to power of the resurrection or the life eternal in heaven and joy. So there's all these bullet points. And I think what's good for us is to understand the big picture of the gospel. In fancy theological terms, you might hear the word meta-narrative. Uh, meta-narrative. There's, there's a lot of little stories that make up the big story. So what's the big story? What is the good news? And that way, whatever conversation you're in, it might be, as Ethan said, with, with somebody who seems like a hardened atheist, but really they have no idea. They, they thought you were always judging them because, you know, you go to church Sunday or you don't drink beer or you don't fudge on the expense report. Whatever their concept is, they think that must be what a Christian is and they're judging me for being better than me. They have no idea what you believe. Um, so it could be a conversation like that. Um, it could be somebody very churched and nuanced in their thinking of theological ideas. Uh, but what we see in the Gospels is Jesus approaching all these different people, uh, especially the contrast of John chapter 3, the Pharisee Nicodemus, and Jesus is willing to engage him in, in big ideas of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration and the new life. So much so that a learned scholar of the law is reeling with questions like, what do you mean by that? And Jesus, now approaching this man on that intellectual level, has to pinpoint the humility and say, are you a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? He has to help him see his need. Uh, very next chapter, it's not an intellectual discussion. It's one about desperation. It's about thirst. And here's this woman at the well who's given herself, trying to find satisfaction, and Jesus addresses her in the language of being thirsty, of needing something, of wanting something, of just wanting to be satisfied. And he approaches that differently. Now, we don't have the whole conversation in either of those stories, because ultimately, a sinner would have to hear that you have to repent of your sin. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus, so believe in him. But all that came through the language of Nicodemus's reasonings and questions or this woman's desperation and need. Uh, and Jesus took whatever the situation was and asked this question, how do we get to the good news from here? So when you watch the news this week and it's, the horror of Ukraine or, you know, 
the pro-life abortion battle, what you should be doing to practice further what Ethan had us do is ask, how would I get to the gospel from here? Because that's life. You're going to be engaging people all the time who have this mess of their life or they're looking at something on the news or the world around them and their rightful expectation would be that you are ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you even though this is the world we live in. So as you watch the news this week, as you hear those conversations with unbelievers in the workplace, your neighborhood, be thinking, how would I get to the gospel from here. Uh, once you can start thinking that way, you'll realize, okay, there are a lot of ways to get to the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, he's the anchor of the gospel. It's a person, Jesus. How are you going to get there from that conversation about gender confusion? How are you going to get there from, well, the woman has a right to her own body? How are you going to get to the good news? Because you could, you could argue till you're blue in the face whether she has that right or not, and she's just not going to agree with you. But is there a heart longing there that you could address? Is there, is there good news? Is there really something you could say that with the Spirit's help, that could, that could be desperately wanted by that person? So how will you get to the gospel from fill in the blank? That conversation, you know, with your coworker at McDonald's or whatever it would be, uh, the kid at school. Uh, in our group, we were talking about playing video games with a friend. Like, how, how would you get to the gospel from whatever situation you find yourself in? Um, know the big story. Uh, if that was awkward for you today, uh, then thank Ethan for showing you how you can think that through a little bit and be ready. A lot of times you don't have 30 minutes with somebody uh, in the workplace. Ideally, maybe eventually, you, as we talked about relationally, you, you invite their family over. You say, who invites coworkers over for dinner? Well, Christians do. Uh, invite them over and you might end up having 30 minutes of conversation. But at times you just have maybe that two minutes or maybe that 30 seconds that Ethan announced at the end of each time. And maybe all you have is, is just two sentences that could steer this conversation to some kind of hope that is in you. Um, keep working on that. Um, this wasn't necessarily a lesson on evangelism, but what you realize is uh, the better the gospel is, is just integral to your thinking, uh, the easier it is for you to just jump into a conversation with good news. And it's not always the same rote, memorized answer, um, but at times it might help you to have a little uh, Rolodex. Well, that's probably a little outdated, isn't it? Of, of, of ideas, of ways to introduce hope into that conversation. And if nothing else, remember what we sang last week, holy God and love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross, he took my sin and by his death I live again. Uh, those are simple words, but catechism has always been the way uh, that the church has gotten their ideas into the heads of their people so that they could easily reproduce that for someone else. So keep practicing uh, with your hope-giving gospel. Heavenly Father, uh, take, take even these few minutes that began awkwardly and tentatively, perhaps, for some of us, and yet we realized we know this truth, and we love this truth, and it has made the difference in our lives. 
make us ready to share this good news. Would you, would you help Vicki as she even thinks through this week how she can take the good news that she loves and be able to introduce this in some small way at this family gathering, the celebration of life. Thank you for the gospel and what it means to those who believe. Uh, thank you for the testimony of Grandma White, uh, her influence on her extended family. Uh, would, you, would you draw sinners to yourself by your mercy, even as a result of that gathering uh, this weekend? Thank you for the many believers that will be there. Uh, who will communicate in their words uh, and in their very spirits the, uh, the hope and the joy that Christians have. Help all of us, because we will be around those who are hopeless. Oh, they may look defiant. They may look angry and self-confident in their ideas and their independence. Um, give us eyes like Jesus had to see them like that woman at the well. Uh, who are tired of drinking the murky waters of sin and this world and desperately need that water of life. Uh, and so use us to point people to Jesus this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.